The following is a class given by His Holiness Jayapataka Swami Maharaj on January 4th, 1992 in Mathura The class begins with a reading from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Adi Leela, Chapter 2, Verse 11. desires I remember the lotus feet. I also remember the six Goswamis, Rupa Sanat and Bhatta Raghunath, uh, Raghunath Sri Jiva and Gopal Bhatta. This is the process purport, this is the process for writing transcendental literature. A sentimentalist who has no Vaishnava qualifications cannot produce transcendental writings. There are many fools who consider Krishna Lila to be a subject of art or write or paint pictures about the pastimes of Lord Krishna with the gopis, sometimes depicting them in a manner practically obscene. These fools take pleasure in material sense gratification, but one who wants to make advancement in spiritual life must scrupulously avoid the literature. Unless one is a servant of Krishna and the Vaishnavas, as Krishna does, Kaviraj Goswami presents himself to be in offering respects to Lord Chaitanya, his associates and his disciples. One should not attempt to write transcendental literature. Alakara Swayam Krishna Prema Marattaru Swayam Tata Bhokta Tatvalanam Yastan Chaitanya Asvaye I take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who himself is the tree of transcendental love of Krishna, its gardener and also the bestower and enjoyer of its fruits. Prabhu Koheyami Biswam Paro Nama Dhuri Nama Sharta Khoi Jodi Preme Bishwapuri Lord Chaitanya thought, my name is Biswambara, one who maintains the entire universe. Its meaning will be actualized if I can fill the whole universe with love of God. Eto Chinti Loila Prabhu Malakara Dharma Thinking in this way, he accepted the duty of a planter and began to grow a garden in Navadweep. Sri Chaitanya Malakaro Prithivi Deani Bhakti Galpa Chadurobila Sinchichapani. Thus, the Lord brought the desire of a tree of devotional service to this earth became its gardener. He sowed the seed and sprinkled upon it the water of his will. Report. In 
many places devotional service has been compared to a creeper. One has to sow the seed of the devotional creeper, Bhakti Lota, within his heart. As he regularly hears and chants, the seed will fructify and gradually grow into a mature plant and then produce the fruit of devotional service, namely love of God, which the gardener, Malakar, can then enjoy without impediments. Jaya Srimadhal Puri Krishna Premapur Agori Sushi Madhavendra Puri, the storehouse of all devotional service, unto Krishna. He is the desire tree of devotional service, and it is in him that the seed of devotional service first fructified. Report Sri Madhavendra Puri, also known as Sri Madhav Puri, Puri. Belonged to the disciplic succession from Madhva Acharya, was a great celebrated sannyasi. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the third disciplic descendant from Sri Madhavendra Puri. The process of worship in the disciplic succession of Madhva Acharya was full of ritualistic ceremonies with hardly a sign of love of Godhead. Sri Madhavendra Puri was the first person in that disciplic succession to exhibit the symptoms of love of God and the first to write a poem, beginning with the words, O supremely merciful personality of God. In that poetry is the seed of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's cultivation of love of God. Sometimes devotees ask, what's the difference between the Madhva line and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? So here we get a hint that although Madhva Acharya accepted Dvaita Vad, propounded Dvaita Vad, there's a living entity and the Lord, two. Well, he accepted Krishna to be the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But his systems of worshipping Krishna were more or less ritualistic in the disciplic succession. And the spontaneous love of Krishna didn't uh, show itself until Madhavendra Puri Madhavendra Puri exhibited the symptoms of Krishna Prema. He would experience intense uh, separation from Krishna. And in this separation he made this poem, which begins with the words, Ayitina Tayartra Nata, O Supremely Merciful Personality of God. One who gives mercy to the most fallen. Actually, Madhavendra Puri became absorbed in the mood of Radharani feeling separation for Krishna. Crying to Krishna to come to her. But Krishna had left Vrindavan and she was isolated in Vrindavan from Krishna. 
extreme separation. So that was her mood, of course. So Madhavendra Puri actually went into a state known as Mahapav, total madness and love of Krishna. And in this world, there's only three persons who have exhibited the Mahapav. Radharani, Lord Chaitanya, and Madhavendra Puri. So, Krishna Prema, one may be a great devotee of Krishna, one may be very steady in all the regulative principles, to actually develop love for Krishna or spontaneous devotion is the highest perfection. And that took a long time, especially if one its offenses to the holy name. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made it very easy. By his mercy, one can experience love for Krishna very quickly. Otherwise, simply the formal ritualistic practice of devotional service does not give the spontaneous Love of Krishna, if one is also committing offenses, it takes a long time. So, Gurmanabhendra Puri, he was offenseless and he has achieved that perfection. Then Lord Chaitanya came in his line and Lord Chaitanya, by his causes, mercy gave the love of Krishna freely. It's not that there's anything wrong with Madhvacharya or his disciplic succession in that sense. It's very difficult to get love of Krishna. In the previous ages, it's also very difficult to get. The reason why it's so available now is because of the causeless mercy of Lord Chaitanya. And it's a the glorification of Madhvacharya that someone in his disciplic succession came out of Indrapuri who got a love for Krishna spontaneously. The present day people in the Madhva line are also not, who are not Chaitanya Mahaprabhu followers. They also show these ritualistic ceremonies. They don't show the same kind of chanting and dancing and kirtan or ecstatic I don't understand exactly why we do all the chanting and everything. Some are more favorable than others. Some highly appreciate also. But this is where the difference came. They are following more ritualistic ceremonies and some of them are tattvavadis, which is discussed in Madhva where they have certain concepts, like the soul is born with a particular quality, or exists and can never change. So, some of these things, some of the details, I don't know where the tattvavadi philosophy came from, what stage in Madhva Lord Chaitanya didn't accept 
creation. Anyway, in text 11, it explains about the disciple of Adarinda Puri. Shishar Puri Rupe Ankura Pushtahailo Apane Chaitanya Mahali Skanda Upachilo the seed of devotional service next rectified in the form of Sri Ishwar Puri, and then the gardener himself, Chaitanya Chad Mahaprabhu, became the main trunk of the tree of devotional service. Report Sri Ishwar Puri was the resident of Kumar Hatta, where there is now a railway road station known as Kumar Hatti. Nearby there is also another station named Hali Hali Sahar which belongs to the eastern railway that runs to the eastern section of Calcutta. Isharpuri appeared in a Brahmana family and was the most beloved disciple of Sri Madhavendra Puri. In the last portion of Chaitanya Charitamrita, chapter 8, verses 26 to 29, it is stated, Isharpuri kore sibada sevan swahaste koren mala mutra diyamarjana Nirantara Krishna Nama Koraya Smaran Krishna Nama Krishna Lila Sunayanukkhan Tushta Hoya Puri Tare Khoilava Lingan Paro Dilo Krishna Tumar Hoka Premodhan Sehoite Ishar Puri Premera Sagu Translation. At the last stage of his life, Srimadavendra Puri became an invalid and was completely unable to move. And Ishwar Puri so completely engaged himself in his service that he personally cleaned up his stool in urine. Always chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, reminding Srimadavendra Puri about the pastimes of Lord Krishna in the last stage of his life, Ishwara Puri gave the best service among his disciples. Thus Madhavendra Puri, being very pleased with him, blessed him, saying, My dear boy, I can only pray to Krishna that he will be pleased with you. Thus Ishwar Puri, by the grace of his spiritual master, Sri Madhavendra Puri, became a great devotee in the ocean of love of God. Sri Vishwanath Chakravarta and the quote. Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti states in his Gur Gurvashtaka prayer, Yasya Prasadat Bhagavat Prasado Yasya Prasadan Nagati Kutopi Translation, by the mercy of the spiritual master, one is benedicted by the mercy of Krishna. Without the mercy of the spiritual master, without the grace of the spiritual master, one cannot make any advancement. It is by the mercy of the spiritual master that one becomes a perfect, becomes perfect, as vividly exemplified here. A Vaishnava is always protected by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but if he appears to be an invalid, that gives a chance to his disciples to serve him. Yeshara Puri pleased his spiritual master by service, and by the blessings of his spiritual master, he became such a great personality that Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu accepted him as his spiritual master. Sri Ishwar Puri was the spiritual master of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. 
But before initiating Lord Chaitanya, he went to Navadip and lived for a few months in the house of Gopinath Acharya. At that time, Lord Chaitanya became acquainted with him, and it is understood that he served Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by reciting his book, Krishna Lila Amrita. This is explained in Chaitanya Bhagavat Adi Lila, 7th chapter. To teach others by example how to be a faithful disciple of one spiritual master, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, visited the birthplace of Ishwar Puri at Kamarhati and collected some earth from his birth site. This he kept very carefully and he used to eat a small portion of it daily. This is stated in the Chaitanya Bhagavad chapter 12. It has now become customary for devotees following the example of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to go there and collect some earth from that place. Actually at that place at Kumarhati, and now it's known as Chaitanya Doba because after Lord Chaitanya took a little dirt from there so many devotees came and took dirt that became a big pond no, it became a big indentation later water filled and it became a pond so Doba means indentation so people are taking it and that filled with water now it's a pond so, so many. Lord Chaitanya showed how to respect the Guru, how to serve the spiritual master. Also, Lord Chaitanya knew Ishwar Puri for a long time before he took initiation. Ishwar Puri, when he came to Navadhi, went to the house of Lord Chaitanya. And then, uh, Lord Chaitanya requested him to recite some teachings of Lord Krishna. So he was taking instruction from Vishwarpuri also. In this way there was already a relationship established. Lord Chaitanya went to Gaya to do Pindi and there he found Vishwarpuri in Jangam Bari Ashram near the Gaya temple. Then Lord Chaitanya decided to ask him for initiation and received the mantra from Ishwar Puri. Here the um, you can see that uh, in this example how by serving the Guru one gets empowered to gets a special blessing to have love for Krishna. There are two disciples of Lord Chaitanya excuse me of Madhavendra uh, Puri who are very classic one disciple got love of Godhead. The other disciple became a Mayavadi. Ishwar Puri, by his sincere service, he was blessed by Madhavendra Puri to become a, to get pure love for Krishna. The other disciple was Ramchandra Puri. When Madhavendra Puri was in ecstasy crying for Krishna, and Ramchandra Puri came up and he started to say, why you are chanting all these things? Why you are crying? You should be equanimous. Shouldn't be disturbed. 
be peaceful. Start to instruct his guru, thinking his guru is suffering some kind of material anxiety or something, not appreciating that his guru is in the experiencing a separation for Krishna and ecstasy. Instead, he's almost chastising his guru that, you know, shouldn't be disturbed by anything, you should be equal. Heat and cold, day and night, this and that, plain and... He's not suffering from loss of anything material. He's feeling the separation of Krishna. When Madhavana Puri realized his disciples so fully instructing him on the moral instruction from Bhagavad Gita, how to be equal to and loss and gain and all this. <laughs> all these feelings separation for Krishna. He just drove him out to get out of here, you rascal. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? So, being bereft from the mercy of his guru, he became like a Mayavadi. So when he went to Jagannath Puri, when Lord Chaitanya was there, he also was criticizing all the Vaishnavas. So because of improper dealings with his guru, he lost all the good fortune. He became even a fender of Vaishnava, became a critic, a fender of Lord Chaitanya. But on the other hand, Ishwarapuri, by sincere, humble service, even though he was a great scholar, but he took up service for the guru as a humble devotee. So in this way he got the blessings of Krishna and he could get pure love for Krishna. Srila Prabhupada, although he was uh, a grihasta during the presence of his guru, later when his children grew up, he took sannyas, manaprasta, and then sannyas. And uh, he carried out the instructions of his guru, both as a grihasta and as a sannyasi. He was told by his guru to print books, so he was already printing books. <clears throat> he printed them back to Godhead while he was a Grihastha. He started back to Godhead in 1945. He was a Grihastha, but uh, he took Sanyasa uh, in 56. So for over Sanyasa in 59. So he was basically... He was... Uh, he was already doing what? the order of his guru regarding printing books. Before that, he was printing his guru's books with the profits from his business. So he was always very concerned to see that the books are printed and published and distributed. <coughs> so Prabhupada uh, had taken up this uh, activity of book publication. It's the primary activity because it was a desire of his spiritual master. Bhakti Srila Umbishnupat, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. One time Prabhupada, he was uh, giving class of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's disappearance. At that time, he was saying how the previous acharyas, they had desired that Mayapur Dham should be served and developed. How oh, it was discovered by Jagannath Das Babaji. Jagannath Das Babaji was being carried on the head of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. 
basket because he was 113 years old. And he couldn't walk anymore. He was like rheumatism, pretty old. So he was being carried in a basket. And when Bhaktivinoda Thakur went over the place, there was a, where he had thought that the birthplace of Lord Chaitanya was. He had found that there was a place where there was a huge neem tree and it was a little bit high place. And all the local villagers there said that the Mohammedan said, oh, this is a worthless place. Nothing grows there. Whatever you plant, simply tulsi comes up. Cursed, they couldn't grow bagel or anything. So they didn't bother, just left it. So then he went over that place with uh, Jagannath Das Babaji and the Jagannath Das Babaji. All of a sudden, just when he went over that particular place, he became completely ecstatic and started jumping up. He couldn't even walk, couldn't move. He started jumping. Haribo, Haribo, Haribo. Jumped right out of the basket and jumping in ecstasy. So this way, like a spiritual Geiger counter, Jagannath Babaji was so sensitive and such ecstatic love for Lord Chaitanya when he became near the actual birthplace. He became completely uh, animated, even though physically otherwise he couldn't. Arthritis, very difficult thing, really. They completely counteracted. So he wanted to he had served Mayapur in this way, and then Bhaktivinoda Thakur went door to door begging one rupee and made a temple there. Dorkishore Das Babaji served the holy dham of Mayapur Navadi. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur was further developed Mayapur, excavating the holy places and also constructing a big temple there at the birthplace. Srila Prabhupada said in so many ways, this was the desire of my previous uh, gurus, of our previous acharya. So I'm also trying to fulfill their desire. He said, this is actually the secret of spiritual success, is to please the guru and the previous acharyas. He said, I'm very grateful that all of you are helping me to fulfill their desires. Then Prabhupada, he got just choked up and started crying. Couldn't speak anymore. Prabhupada would always control himself so he wouldn't make any public display of ecstasy. But sometimes he would come without warning and be too fast for him to, to control it. This is one of those rare cases. He became completely choked up. He couldn't speak. He just was stunned. Tears are coming from his eyes. For about five minutes, we're all sitting there. He couldn't move until finally he just said, Chant Hare Krishna. And the bodies chanted, and then uh, that was the end of the class. So, the secret of Prabhupada's success, many people have asked. He said that he took it very seriously how Bhaktivinoda Thakur said that 
carrying out the order of the Guru is more important than, than anything. More important than one's life and own life. So he just tried to carry out the order of his Guru to print books to also Srila Bhakti Siddhanta ordered him to go to the West and preach. So in this way he took up that service of preaching. According to the Guru's order. And because of that, Prabhupada attributes that uh, he has uh, achieved certain success. So these are very important principles of devotional service. These are secret ways how to advance very quickly. Srila Prabhupada also said that uh, if you reach in Middle East uh, countries, you get special mercy as well. Chaitanya wanted that somehow this chanting would be done everywhere. Although the legal uh, restrictions, we are just preaching to the expatriates and present. At least that Lord Chaitanya's holy name is uh, being chanted. That also having its sublime effect purifying everyone, giving good fortune to the people. Establishing a base. So, we try to do those things which are pleasing to the Guru and the previous Acharyas. And by doing that, then we can get the special mercy of Lord Chaitanya. So, we have the example Ishwar Puri, Ramchandra Puri. One is criticizing his Guru and thinking he is more intelligent. The other is following the Guru and he is getting love for Krishna. Nija chintya shakti mali hoya skandahoi sakala sakara So by his inconceivable powers, Lord Chaitanya became the gardener, the trunk and the branches simultaneously. So now begins a description of the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu tree from the roots up. Very long discussion, but basically Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has been compared to a tree. Just like a tree is giving mercy, say there's a big thunderstorm or something, if you go under a tree, you get shelter. Tree is open for everyone. Without prejudice, according to caste, creed, color, age, sex, anybody can go under a tree and take shelter. Similarly, People that use the trees as datuns to brush uh, their teeth. So they go and just chop off a branch of the tree or someone cuts a tree branch and uses it. So the tree doesn't protest while you're cutting my arm. It is is very merciful. So basically whatever people want, the fruits are there, people go and take their fruit from the tree, the flowers. Tree is really... uh, Great servant. The 
big tree has branches spread far and wide. So Lord Chaitanya liked to use the example of a tree. He's a gardener and also he's the tree. He's the tree and so far that he's fulfilling everyone's desires. Of course, Lord Chaitanya's mercy is such that he fulfills the desires of the devotees, but he also he purifies the desires of the devotees so that they desire the best thing. Someone may desire, like there's a saying that the Kalpa Taru, desire tree. So say you have a desire tree, whatever you want it gives you. Say so I want one kilo of gold, it gives you. So if I've got gold, I want a house, it gives you. So I want a wife, I got a wife. Then I want this, I want that. Whatever you want is giving you. So then the person said, you know, whatever I think I'm getting. What if I thought about a tiger? Ah! So it's not that type of uh, desire tree. You think of a tiger will come out. Desire tree means that for whatever service you want to do for Krishna, it will give you all the facilities you need. In the spiritual world, they have desire trees. Just like in this world, there's a tree, mango tree, date tree, Chiku tree, whatever, Sapota. But say that you can't go to one tree and get all the fruits you want. You have to go to many different trees. But the Kalpatru means you want to offer Krishna an orange, a mango, a lychee. Whatever fruit you want, it will just give you that fruit. You can take it from the same tree. So you can have a whole basket of fruits, grapes, bananas, all from the same tree. Whatever thing you want for serving Krishna, I will give you. But the tree is meant for giving things to serve Krishna. If you want something against the principles of Krishna consciousness, it won't give you. It's not that kind of desire tree. It's a spiritual desire tree, so it gives you the facilities to do your devotional service to Krishna. It will give spiritual things. People want the desire tree to give them material things. And those material things may, like the tiger, destroy you. That type of mercy Krishna Chaitanya is not so inclined to give. Krishna is also not inclined to give. Say somebody wants uh, to ask Krishna for some intoxication, illicit sex, or gamble, this type of thing. I mean, Krishna is not so inclined to give these type of things. Although he has the power to give. He's generally not inclined to give things because it's harmful. Just like if you ask your father that I want to do something bad, the father will say, no, you should do something bad. Because Krishna is the father of everyone, so he takes that interest like that. If you want something good for yourself, uplifting, just like if a son went to the father, I want to do this constructive thing, actually the father will try to facilitate so Krishna will facilitate for anything constructive in your devotional service. But if you want something unconstructive, he may also give. But that will be with more difficulty delayed. He'll give that through some deva, usually, who does not have that discrimination. That's why in the Vedas, if you want some tamasic thing, then there are certain devas or devi you can worship for tamasic thing, Kali, Chandi, Kalavoyrav, 
you want something in passion, mortal passion, then there's Brahma and Shiva and Sarva, certain other forms. You get things in the mode of passion. But Krishna is the pure mode of goodness. Vishnu is the mode of goodness. So things in the mode of goodness are obtained through mode of Vishnu. So now people in the age of Kali have got a tamasic taste. They want to use money for tamasic things. So then they say, well, if I worship Krishna, I won't get what I want. In one sense, they're true, they won't get it very easily if they want tamasic things. But if they want sattvic things, they'll get it very easily. It's like if you want something constructive from your father, you can get it easily. If you want something destructive, then you get it from some friend who's a bum in the street, you might get it easier. Or you'll get from some other person who doesn't care. He's not so interested. Maybe some crazy uncle is there or something. I'll take it. Some drunkard or something. Anyway, not that I'm comparing the tables. But it's just that they're not so interested in the uh, person who's asking for these things. They're not so considerate about what will be the future result of giving them. So like Brahma gives Hirani Kashipu the ability to be not killed in so many circumstances. So he misused that to persecute all the conditions, all the Brahmanas and devotees ruling his own son, Prahlad. So later, Rashinga uh, Dev chastised Brahmada, why do you give such a benediction to these demons that create troubles? Don't give such benediction, which are going to be destructive and uh, harmful. Or like Lord Shiva gave the benediction to the Vrindasur, was it? Vrindasur? He wanted the benediction that whoever's head he touches will go off. But then, Vrindasura thought, let me first touch your head. To Lord Shiva. What's his name? That one was something like Vrindasura. It's two very similar names. Something very similar. has a, he had a thousand arms, a hundred arms, and he used to play drum for Shiva, and Shiva would dance. But he got into a fight with Krishna, so Krishna chopped all his arms off except for four because Shiva requested don't kill him. So he left four arms and then uh, gave him a blessing so he became like a resident of the spiritual world with four arms by the blessing of him. There's two names very similar. One is the enemy of Indra who fought with Indra and the other is each one who got the blessing from Shiva. Names are quite similar. In any case, This demon went after Lord Shiva to touch his head. So it's not a question of devotion. He wanted something from Shiva, so he did some worship to him. And he got what he wanted. He didn't hesitate to even try to kill Shiva. Because Krishna is the super soul, he knows what people are thinking, what's their mentality, what's their... So he knows that, well, if I give this thing, what's going to happen? The devas are not so profoundly aware of what a person's thinking in all circumstances because they're not the super soul. Krishna has to reveal to them for them to know. Or they 
They may not consider, they may not take the trouble to consider the consequences of them giving a particular benediction. So in this case, Lord Shiva didn't consider one reason or another. And in the end, he was in difficult position, so he went to Vishnu and asked that he could be saved from this demon. So then Vishnu came as a little brahmachari and told the person, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for Shiva, I'm going to touch his head. Why? So I, I got the benediction from Lord Shiva that whoever's head I touch will disappear. He said, Are Shiva is living in a crematorium, and Shiva's like this, and like that. You believe whatever Shiva tells you. What makes you think that you've got that power? You just touch your own head, you see nothing is going to happen. You see what's going to happen with you. Something like that. Said in a very diplomatic way. The guy started, because uh, he had no faith in Shiva anyway. He had a doubt. So he touched his head. You can imagine, though, getting that whoever's head you touch goes away. Now, you can't touch your own head if you're going to hit you something. You can't scratch it. This is a crazy kind of benediction. To ask for it is a crazy benediction. Okay. In your sleep, you know, you project. You finished. <laughs> you have to have your hand tied. So, Somebody asks these things from Krishna, he doesn't give generally. He won't give us something destructive. So people, they generally, they don't want all these conditions, whatever I want, let me take it. So this way they just ask Krishna for it. That's why they hesitate all worshipping Krishna, because the different worshippers of the devas have created this, uh, you won't get what you want, I idea. But they don't realize you worship Krishna, he'll give you more than what you want. He'll give you something much better. Ishwarapuri was worshipping Krishna, worshipping his guru. He got love of Krishna, he got Lord Krishna himself as a disciple. Srila Prabhupada, he wanted to go and preach uh, in the West to make uh, some temples. But then uh, he was able to create a worldwide movement. Uh, hundreds of temples all over the world and it's increasing every day. So this way, by serving the Guru, by serving Krishna, he gives you more than what you uh, ex- uh, expected. Although Prabhupada went with no money, at the end he became, uh, you can say, one of the most rich and powerful Gurus in the world. Some big businessmen would come and say that, uh, you want to see miracles? Swamiji, show me a miracle. Some other Ghatmen are producing rings and watches and rasagulas to show me miracle. He said, I went with 40 rupees and within a few years I got 40 crores. Is that a miracle? (laughs) 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 But of course Prabhupada didn't use the money for his own sense gratification. He would just construct temples and farm projects and schools and so on for for everybody benefit. But still, if you take their total assets, their ideas, and just encourage people positively what the benefits are of serving Krishna. In Vrindavan, they gave that ladies, uh, the Aboriginal ladies, they gave just a few pieces of fruit to Krishna. 
they got a whole basket of jewels. That's what people want. Even Krishna will give them. But Krishna's specialty, he'll give more than what you expected. But he won't give something which will destroy you. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram. Any questions? The point is that uh, actually Krishna is the Param Purush. God is the supreme controller. He's the supreme enjoyer. He's the proprietor of everything. Bhaktaram Jagatapasan Sarvaloka Mahesha. And he's the Lord of all the universes, of all the planets. Krishna says that a foolish person tries to judge him as a human being. Uh, and that those type of people are foolish like asses. Avajananti mangmudha manushin tanumasvitam. Because they think that I've taken a manushya tanu. They think I've taken a body of a human being. So they're trying to judge Krishna as a dog. Just like this person, if he has many girlfriends, they think he's a, he's a debauchee. So Krishna has got so many wives. So therefore, they think that, oh, Krishna must be the sense enjoyer like uh, they are. But this is very offensive. Actually, Krishna doesn't have any interest in material sense gratification. But if there are 16,000 devotees who want to serve Krishna, Krishna will give them facility to serve him. If there are a million devotees who want to serve Krishna, Krishna can give all of them the facility to serve this is showing that if somebody has a sincere desire to serve in a particular way, Krishna is so magnanimous, he will allow them. Not that Krishna needs their service or Krishna wants to enjoy with them, but they want to serve Krishna in a particular way, so Krishna gives them that facility. Those princesses were outcasts. They had been kidnapped by the Asura. So nobody is going to touch them. In strict Vedic society at that time, if a young girl was touched by a boy, nobody is going to touch her. What to speak of kidnap? They, all, they would never get a husband. Never. But actually they didn't care. They just wanted to serve Krishna. So Krishna, without considering all these things, he accepted all of them and gave them full respect. You say, well, Krishna, you didn't. How did... What's exceptional about Krishna doing that? The point is then you have to understand what Krishna did. If you accept that Krishna married 16,108 queens, then you should also accept the description of how he lived with them. He gave each of the queens a separate palace, a separate garden, a separate entire infrastructure. He had 16,108 palaces. And then when Krishna came back from the Raj Darbar, when he went off of his chariot, he would divide into 16,108 forms. And simultaneously he'd enter into each palace. With each of the queens he would be there. And Narada Muni was visiting Krishna in the different palaces. And seeing in one palace Krishna is playing with the children Another palace, he's uh, talking with the wife intimately. Another palace, he's playing chess. Some place, he's laughing. Some place, uh, he's 
discussing with some minister some political matter. In every place he's doing something different with a different mood. Now Narada is a great yogi. He knows that yogis can make uh, themselves into ten different forms. But that's only with one consciousness. You can be like ten places at the same time. But you'll be one consciousness. Not that uh, one CPU. So that one emotion will be experienced by all the four, ten forms. Although they may be, their senses may be divided in ten places, but if one has laughing, they'll all be laughing. I mean, they'll all be feeling the same because it's only one consciousness. But here he saw that in each of the forms of Krishna was totally independent and going on without any reference to the other. So he said, this is completely inconceivable for any yogi to do that. And not ten form, but sixteen thousand. And each one is completely full and complete. You couldn't say this was the number one and number two, or this what's is full and which is a part. They're all complete in, in every respect. This is not even possible for great yogis or anyone. Nobody but God can simultaneously do things in thousands of places without any uh, deficiency. But at the same time, he's acting as a perfect husband, a perfect king, a perfect friend. He's a perfect person, so he's showing that God is also a person. You see people from other religions, they try to say that God is not a person. So then you're saying God is less than you are. You are a person, but God is less than you. You see, you can have one wife, so God can have unlimited wives. But you're controlled by your wife, but Krishna, he's rather... You see, you are, you are dependent on your wife for your happiness. But Krishna is not dependent, he's independent. But if he wants, he can play the part of a henpecked husband. If he wants, he can walk off and forget the whole thing and he won't think a second. He won't think, he won't look back. That capacity, Krishna, he's not attached. He's not dependent on anybody. He's Atmarama. But he allows himself to become controlled by the love of his devotee. That's his greatness. Not that he's dependent he needs the devotee in that sense. But that he allows himself to be uh, manipulated by the love of the devotee or allows himself to be controlled by the love of his devotee like Manda Yasoda tying up Krishna. So if you accept one part of the description, you accept the whole part. And then you see that why Krishna did it, no human being can do that. That actually he's God. Whether you call God Allah or you call him Jesus or whatever you call Christ or whatever, but he's that same original Godhead. And he's showing the unlimited potency of God. And he's also showing that God is the best person. It's not that he's just some imperson. He's also the best person. So if people had the patience to listen and you want to hear part, you hear the whole thing. Krishna, when he was in Vrindavan, all the gopis had performed Kantriyana Puja to get Krishna as their husband. So then, Krishna stole all of their clothes so that then they had to appear before him naked to get their clothes back. If a woman goes naked before a man, that means like accepting him as a husband. So this way he fulfilled all their desire. They'd all prayed for Krishna, each one independently. 
pray to Katyani to get Krishna as the husband. Actually, they were already Krishna's wives. Because when Brahma stole all the cowherd boys to test Krishna, and then Krishna expanded himself as all the cowherd boys. So at that time, Balaram went and suggested that, look, at there's all these young girls uh, here in the village. They should all get married now. And in those days, they used to do child marriage. Even six years old, eight years old, they'd be married. So they were all married to different cowherd boys in the village. But that particular year, all the cowherd boys were Krishna. So in this way, Krishna accepted all of them as his wife. They were actually, the person to whose hand they were put was Krishna, in the form of that cowherd boy. So they're all Krishna's wives. But they think that I'm a wife of someone else. Because Krishna wants to show that their love for him is even stronger. Actually, they're his wife. And they, in their own heart, they feel, I'm Krishna's wife. I'm not this guy's wife. But somehow, when I was a child, they, they say that I got married here, but I, in my heart I feel I'm Krishna's wife. And that's the actual fact, they are really Krishna's wife. But they had to go through so many intrigues to get to Krishna. So it appears that it's immoral what they're doing, from a material point of view. But Krishna wanted to show that, the, to create that their devotion would be more, more extracted, more uh, pronounced. But actually, they're not what they're doing in any sense was not immoral. Simply in appearance for the sake of increasing the rasa. So these are very esoteric points. And if we understand that Krishna is, in any case, the, the, we're all the energies of Krishna. In one sense, everyone is a Krishna's energy or shakti or wife. He's a natural husband for everyone. He accepts the devotee according if they want to be his wife or want to be his mother or father or want to be his friend or want to be his servant or they just want to hold an awe and reverence. You're all working. Not that you're not doing your other activities. Everybody is working. That's another thing, you see. As far as practical work to maintain your family you want to enjoy this side, you want to enjoy that side. You had to choose a crossroad. You had to decide which direction you want to go. You can't have your cake and at the same time eat it. You can't, if you uh, enjoy the material things without any connection to Krishna. You had to also take the reactions for that. As you get more attached to those things, then uh, you have to take repeated births. It's a very practical thing. The more you become attached to these material things, the more you have to take birth again. So you're not serious about going back to the spiritual world. Not serious about getting free from the karmas. That's your choice. We don't say that somebody has to practice 100% Krishna consciousness. What we're saying is if you practice 100%, to try to do 100, you may do 60, but you try to do, to do everything as a service to Krishna, then you're guaranteed to go back to Krishna. This is Krishna's promise. But 
we want to do 5%, 15%. Then maybe after many births you'll get back to Krishna. When you are ready at some point in time to do fully. But you won't get, you're not guaranteed to get back at this time. So we're not going to cheat you and tell you that you do 15%, you'll get 100% benefit. According to what you're paying, that's how far you'll go. If you buy a ticket from here to Bombay, you can't fly from here to Los Angeles. So you do 5%, all right, you don't, you want to go movies five days a week, you come two days a week to the program. At least that much you'll benefit. But the other five days, if you die in a, in a cinema hall, a heart attack, and you end up, you know, and seeing Tarzan movie and you end up as a chimpanzee, don't blame us. <laughs> so these things are in mode of passion, ignorance, depending what you're saying, goodness. So we also have drama, we have music, but previously, say what? You become all westernized. You previously, hundred years ago in India, there's so much drama. But all the drama, Ramayana, Krishna Lila, all the Sangeet, Purandara. You're saying Karnataka music is not, uh, South Indian music is not good. But what was the subject matter? It was all religious. All the art, the music, the drama was used for uplifting people spiritually. Also it was the highest form of uh, of uh, art in that. Now what is the rock and roll? What artistic value is that? They're just screaming. You know, it's like a punk rock is even worse, you know. There does no music. I mean, they admit they have hardly any musical ability. They're just, you know, some have more than some have less. But punk rock is a completely, you know, I don't know how punk, but you know. They go on screaming, you know. But now they use a rap, just a talking. So there's some artistic value, but very little. Nothing compared to what Parandra or these other great uh, musicians. Parandra or a few other great ones are there. Tagaraja and another. So they use religious things. So we're saying in this way, you use these things in a, for a spiritual purpose. This was their previous tradition in India. A way of life based around God consciousness. Now you, you, you're not... Actually, you're just becoming westernized. Now you want to go and watch this movie and that. It's all a contamination. And so what is the result? You may take birth in America or Europe or some other place, uh, or Gulf or anywhere, instead of going taking birth in the spiritual world. So the Indian, what was the greatness about Indian culture was that people led a full life, but they led it in such an expert way that there was always a spiritual touch. And so at the end, they could give their consciousness to God and go back to Godhead. They could get moksha. Nowhere else in the world do they have this dharma, artha, kama, moksha. They just have dharma, artha, kama. <laughs> moksha is left out in most cases. Even their idea of heaven is another form of kama. They want the swarga enjoyment. Moksha is a we're getting liberation, getting bhakti. This is a special aspect of Vedic culture, which is a, they are in other shastras, but hardly anyone tries for it. So we're trying to encourage people to use the, uh, take the higher path. So we expect that not everyone will take it. Prabhupada said that 
you have the grocery shop and you also have the jewelry shop. So everybody is going to the grocery shop to buy so many things. Few customers come to the jewelry shop, but the jewelry customers are good customers. They'll buy one jewel, $1,000, $1,000,000, you know, one big jewel like that, $10,000. So on one jewel they'll make the profit for the whole week. But at the grocery store they're making 5%, 4% profit, they have to sell big quantity. So actually we're selling jewels. Not every customer will come. But in spite of selling jewels, it's so amazing that so many customers are coming. That's Lord Chaitanya's mercy. Otherwise, normally, very few customers come for these things. But even if a few come, we don't mind because they're the, they are the real customer. They're getting the real thing. But if, if more are coming, then it shows even more mercy. That's why you have to preach to them first that there's life after death. That's why the Bhagavad Gita is first, uh, Krishna is telling Arjuna, you're not the body. You have to convince people first they're not the body, they are the spirit soul. There is a spiritual world. It's not that one day everyone's going to come and we can't expect that the first time you meet somebody, they're going to immediately, they have no belief in the soul, no belief in life after death. No belief in God, no belief. So they're going to, how are they going to surrender in the first minute? If they do, they're probably a thief. There's a saying in Bengali, no? Too much bhakti, all of a sudden means the guy must be a thief. He wants to cheat you. Normally people don't come so easy. They had a lot of maya, a lot of misconception. You had to preach to them for a long time. Step by step, taking them from one. We cannot. When we preach to a big crowd, crowd, we just have to kind of take a middle point and shoot. There'll be some people much more advanced and some people much more admired. And then the question and answer, we try to balance it out. When you're talking with one particular person, you have to cultivate them so they gradually come up to that level. Because God has also said that they are Maya, they are illusion. Because God has given those because you want them. Because you have sinful desires, so He's given you this uh, facility. But He's also recommending don't do it. It's just like the father tells the son, don't do something. But uh, you know, if the boy wants to do it, sometimes, okay, let him do it. But it's your consequence. You have to take the result. So ultimately, Krishna doesn't force. He makes it voluntary. But the laws of karma are there. He said, okay, you can do what you want, but then you have to take the karma. So you should see what's the reaction. Vedas are telling, this is the reaction for doing these things. Somebody is too lusty with women, and in the fifth camp of Bhagavatam mentions how in hell they have to embrace uh, women made out of hot iron and all these things. You know, We don't tell all this to people. We don't preach about hell, generally speaking, because... People don't believe in hell nowadays. And they say, oh, I don't believe in all that. So we don't. But actually, those descriptions are there. The karma is there. We say the karma. Karma, people can see karma. They can see that people are being. Somebody told me that, well, why people are happy in this world, we don't see suffering. I said, you just go to the hospital. Not 
I was living in the hospital for some time after I was attacked, you know. It's amazing, you know, the kind of people that are suffering that are going in the hospital. I mean, I had to have that tube going up in my nose, and the, but there are many people, they had no nose, they had this job, that thing. They're there with all these uh, intensive care and everything. A lot of suffering goes on in this world, but it's very nicely packaged, so you don't notice it so much. When somebody dies in the hospital, they have a separate code. They close all the doors, and they take the person out, and they push him down to the end of the hall. No, nobody should see, because it's demoralizing if you see somebody die in the hospital. But every time, mostly, many people are dying there. So they have a, they, they close all the door and put the body down in the western country. But in India, in a, especially the rural hospital, they don't care. One of our devotees had to go to the local district hospital. Next to him, the guy was lying dead for about six hours. Dog was going underneath the bed, licking up the blood that was dripping. All open like this horrible situation. I said, normally we don't build hospitals, but I think in Mayapur we had to have our own hospital for the devotees. Because the district hospital is so substandard. Dogs are just coming in, they don't clean it, staff doesn't care. Very horrible situation. Why, where, where does it say that? You say, you're just speaking nonsense. You read Bhagavad Gita and show me where Krishna says that he's causing you to do all the sinful actions. You're saying so many things, I don't have to listen. You're not my guru. Why are you instructing me? Where, what you're saying, where does it say that in the Shastra? This is your own speculation. Krishna says that I'm not responsible for what the people do. I have given them the independence. Ninth Canto, Gita, clearly Krishna says, I created this world, but I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of the living entities, neither am I causing, I'm causing the whole world to go, but I'm not causing them to do what they're doing. You desire, so Krishna is facilitating. You want to steal, so Krishna is telling you how to steal. But what Krishna wants you to do is love him and serve him. But instead, you're Asking Krishna give you intelligence, how to steal, how to cheat, how to do all. So he's doing that. So you should see how kind Krishna is to you. But instead you're blaming Krishna that he's the one who's causing you to do. This is not fair. How will all tolerate to hear all these things from you? You want to do so Krishna is giving you the facility. But what does Krishna want to do? You should see. Krishna is saying what he wants you to do. Bow down to him, be his devotee, serve him. Then he'll protect you from the karmas. In the Vedas it says that for what you do, you have to take the karma. So if Krishna is causing you to do this thing, and Krishna is also causing you to suffer for that, so you're saying that what your picture you're painting is Krishna is a very bad person. It's not the fact. You want to do this thing, Krishna is giving you the facility to do, but then you have to also take the result. So Krishna is letting you learn by your own uh, mistakes. He's giving you enough rope to hang yourself. So you can learn from your mistake and you can eventually improve yourself. But don't say Krishna is making you do these things. He has what interest he has to make you do these things. People just go on saying nonsense. Sometimes you have to this, or you can ask them. Well, you ask them a question. On what basis you're saying this? 
You're speaking like a big pundit, so you show me the Shastra where it says that. So don't think you can cheat. You know, there's a story about uh, one blacksmith and one businessman. So the businessman, he's going and cheating everybody. Everybody is giving a fast talk. And he's somehow or another getting money. So then he goes to the blacksmith after he got some coconuts from some guy. He decided, I want to, I need a good knife to cut the coconuts. So his knife was worn out. So he went to the kamar, the blacksmith. So then he said, give me a good knife. He said, it'll cost you so much. So he said, actually, I'm a, I'm a dealer in high quality steel. I have a good steel. I can give you a good knife. I'll give you a big putty of steel. And you can make knives from that, three, four knives. And you give me one knife and then you can have the rest. He said, okay, it's a good deal. So he goes back home and he has no, he's not a, never did steel. He's got a, he doesn't know anything about steel. He just has a piece of iron laying there. So he sends the iron to with his son. He said, give me this. Thing. Blacksmith is working with steel every day. So what's this, a lousy piece of loha? What a iron, what I'm going to make a good knife with. So he made a crummy knife with it. Send it back to the guy. The guy said, what's this useless knife? It won't cut anything. Won't cut a papaya, what to speak of a coconut. He goes back yelling at the guy, what do you do? You gave me a lousy knife. You call yourself a kamar. You call yourself a blacksmith. And he says, what do you mean? You're telling me that loha is ispat, that this uh, ordinary uh, mild steel is a high quality carbon steel. You're trying to cheat a blacksmith with lousy steel. So this is the kind of knife you get. Who do you think you are? You nonsense rascal. And the guy, what could he say? So we are dealing with spiritual activities. We're studying that someone trying to give us a lecture. You show us where it says in Shastra what you're speaking. You're talking like a big pundit. Don't mind. You show in the Shastra. I'm speaking for your welfare. I don't want to have to waste my time with you. I don't want to just sit here and idly talk. You're not interested, you say it. But you try to give me lecture that Krishna is making you do the karmas. Krishna is making you do the sinful act. You show in the Shastra where does Krishna say that I am doing this. It's a complete bluff. You don't know what you're speaking. And you understand, I'm trying to help you to save you from suffering. You don't want to. So you can wake up somebody who's asleep, but if somebody is pretending he's asleep, you cannot wake, but he's actually awake, you can't wake him up. These people know better. They're just doing it as an excuse to put you off. They don't want to listen. If somebody is really sincere, they'll listen. They won't come up with all these speculations. He said, you, you know, I'm trying to help you. You go on. You'll see what happens. Then they, they, what happened is like, I, the one boy, he wasn't listening. He driving around. All of a sudden, he got into a, his motorcycle, got into a car accident, and an accident. Then his leg, they operated once. They put the steel pin. It didn't work. Again operated. Again operated. After four operations, he said, you know, this material world is no place of fun. I really made a mistake. I wasn't caring about Krishna anything. Now I'm suffering so much. Then he wants to be a devotee. Sometimes Krishna has to put the screws on before they waken up. You're trying to save them. Learn from others' mistakes. You can see people are suffering. Where do you think the suffering comes from? Because of their karma. Everybody, the Bible says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. As you sow, so shall you reap. They does say for every action there's a reaction, the karmas are there. For goodness, uh, activities and 
tamas and rajas and sattvas. We are saying that for our benefit. If you become devotee, we don't get any profit. I don't get a commission. You chant Hare Krishna. I'm saying for your out of friendship, I like you. You're a nice person. You want to give me a big lecture? Don't think you can just fool me. You show in the Shastras. I'm agreeing what, okay, I agree what you say, you show me. I can show you where it says. As you do karma, you have to take the reaction. If you do activity and tamas, you'll suffer. I'm saying I don't want you to suffer. But you want to give me lecture? Okay, you show me from Gita. You can take Gita and show me. Here's your Gita. Show me. Call their bluff. At a certain point, you have to call the bluff. It's 10 o'clock. I didn't take breakfast. How long do you want to go? That you have to pray to Krishna sometime. You have to, every person, individual preaching, you can't say like, you know, you can't do it by a guidebook. That you have to also pray to Krishna that please empower me that I can speak the right thing to this person. Please bless this person, he can be your devotee. You pray for the welfare of that person. And that by your mercy, someone, by your uh, desire, and by Krishna's mercy, that person can become devotee. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you know that Gauchita wants him to be devotee. You're trying to. But you have to use your intelligence. One person, no two people are alike. That's why this activity requires a lot of intelligence. So it's not, I can give guidelines, but when you're in the actual field, you, it's not that you can just uh, patent, uh, use the same tactic for every person. Not like there's that one uh, story about uh, the boy was uh, helping a doctor, a veterinarian, and one uh, horse came with a lump in the throat, and he saw the veterinarian took a big hammer and smashed the throat of the of the uh, horse, and then uh, after that the horse was all right. So then he opened up shop and said, I don't need to uh, work for this guy. I can do private practice. He said, I can cure any lump in the throat of the horse. So every horse is coming. He's giving a big hit with a hammer and the horse is dying. And people want to kill him. He's going back to the doctor. I did exactly the same thing you did uh, to every lump. And, uh, but uh, now the horses are dying. You put me in trouble. Well, I didn't put you in trouble. You're such a fool. That horse who came had swallowed one uh, melon. So I had to break the melon in the throat so that uh, you can swallow it and be free. But every lump in the throat is not a melon. There may be tumor, there may be so many things. You don't know the matter and you're... And then you obviously have to be more But then you can also be humble. You can say, sir, I don't mind. I can just say some one thing to you. Don't mind. You can do it like more tactful way. We learn from India how to be very tactful. When you're talking to superior, if you don't mind, sir. When they're getting to you. I just like to know, as you're very learned, if you show me where in the Shastra what you're saying is written. If we're trained, we should see it in right hand. You can also say it. You don't have to say it. <laughs> we're not afraid it's not that uh, somebody offends that uh, of course we can avoid people if we see that they're really uh, hardcore offenders if they're just a mildly uh, if you're strong enough you can also counter that what is that most people were thieves they had stolen their kingdom they had tried to rape the wife of uh, the Pandavas they had done so many things 
They were so tolerant. Finally, at one point, they had, there's a limit to tolerance. And Krishna told them, you have to also, according to karma, sometimes you have to fight. Manu says, if someone steals your kingdom, if someone tries to rape your wife, if someone tries to burn your house, if someone is an aggressor, with a weapon he comes to you, you can't kill him. How you'll defend yourself? These people were aggressors. So according to law of Kamanu, there's a right to kill them. There was a war, this was also a law fought, law fought, a war fought according to the agreements of principles, everything was done uh, appropriately. And while they were already agreed to fight, every uh, attempt at diplomacy was failure. Krishna himself went to personally beg them, don't fight. The Kurus, just give five villages and leave it. But they won't listen. Even though Krishna was under diplomatic immunity, they are trying to capture Krishna. And then Krishna showed a Visarupa and escaped. So many you can't blame Krishna. It's all the Kuru's fault. Duryodhan, he was a very nonsense person, rascal guy who didn't care for anything. So sometimes people are like that. Just like if you say, okay, don't fight. Then who would have stopped it? Saddam Hussein? The whole Gulf will become uh, Iraq. If, uh, if America and uh, the Gulf countries didn't uh, finally uh, step up, step down, he will stop at Kuwait, who believes it? He won't stop. He'll be the next Hitler. Take over the whole place, you know. So at certain times you got a hard nut. The only way you can crack him is with force. So you have to, the Krishna is a you, 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 you criticize on one hand we are not practical. On the other hand, Krishna is the most practical. He told the practical, this guy, you can only teach him, he only, there's some people who will accept the force of argument. And the other people, they only accept the argument of force. So there are some people like that. You mean to say someone comes and tries to steal your wife away, you won't use violence. You let him do whatever he wants. See, you're being impractical. We're not impractical. Krishna was the most practical. You blaming him. If you can prove that Duryodhana was right in what he was doing, then we, but where he was completely wrong. He had made a wager. He said, you go out 14 years, and when you come back, I'll give you back the kingdom. They came back, said, so where's our kingdom? They said, well, I promise, but I won't keep the promise. Uh, okay. Why do you won't give us our kingdom? Give us at least one village. I won't give you enough land to put a pin in. Fourteen years following his word, they lived in the forest. They came back and he said, Off with you fellows. So they have a certain, they had a dharma, they had to follow. They were kshatriyas, they were vowed that they had to rule. So when this thing happened, they were vowed that they had to take some action. Something, even a token action. Or they accept something, but so this thing, you know, superficially you can say anything. You should say, sir, you may not actually saying this kind of thing is not good for you. To accuse Krishna is not good for you. This is why preaching in India is tough. Why preaching in Russia and other places is so easy because Indians offend Krishna and the Vaishnavas nowadays. Because of their offenses, they are not able to become devotees. But those who are 
they may be sense gratifiers, they may be into so much illicit sex and abortion and so many things in Western countries. But they don't offend Krishna. They don't know anything about Krishna, so how they can offend him. Already America is becoming tougher because uh, they know more about devotees, so they are creating offenses. But before, in the beginning, no one knew anything, they didn't offend You'll find it easier to preach to people from other religions sometimes because they're now they're more respectful. But some people who are already they know something, they start to speculate and make offense. Somehow you should discourage people, don't offend, don't accuse like that. It's not good for you. It's not also true. They're Hindus. The Hindus they should accept the the what the Vedas. Hindus and the point is that you accept the Veda. You accept that the superpower, you find out about the superpower from the Shastra. So who is that superpower? He has some name, whether you call him nothing or you call him Krishna. So the Vedas say that that superpower is Krishna. Sometimes you see people give a hard time. I personally know many people, sometimes they get in a discussion with the devotee. And they try different techniques, see if they can make you lose your temper, see if they can uh, say something. Even in their heart, they know what they're saying is not right. Internally, they know it. But they say, just to see, just to, even one person, I tell you a personal example. I went into this one businessman's office to make him a life member. And he started saying, you Krishna devotee, what does Krishna is this and that. All this argument he is using on me. So I patiently heard him out and I gave a few rebuttals. And I said, anyway, sir, you're doing a good work. We're feeding so many people, doing so much good work. Even you don't like, you don't believe all these things, but you can help in different ways, something, whatever I forget. I preached him directly. I tolerated what he said and kept on preaching. So then at the end he said, actually, I was just testing him. He pulled out the checkbook and wrote the check and said, please take my life membership. You're doing very good work. You know, all kinds of people. And he was a complete blasphemy, worst thing, you know. But at the end he became a life member without hesitation. So some people, if you get too much argument, you avoid the argument. So okay, never mind. Anyway, we're doing a nice thing. It's helping people. You can also do something. You can help a little bit. I not believe everything we believe, but anyway, there's nothing wrong with singing bhajans. It's nice. Somehow, not that they have to believe the philosophy fully the first time you meet them. Somehow, just get them, take a prasada, be friends, keep relations. You're working together anyway. So better to build up a friendly relationship first, give them some. If you get too heavy, then they may also drive them off. Sometimes, when you see they're ripe, they're going saying they can be a little heavy. Sometimes you have to see when is the right time? Just to like give them a little shock and wake them up and put them in the spot. It's a whole technique. But the uh, best thing is to establish some relationship. Lord Chaitanya is also very humble. He, he presented very heavily, but in a very humble way. So that way nobody could take offense. Because the mind wants to sometimes look for an excuse out. If they can make you angry and you say something bad, then they can discount, okay, these devotees are like that, I don't have to listen. They themselves are trying to create that situation, so the devotee has to sometimes be very humble. 
Because we know that we don't hate the person. The person is diseased. We hate the disease. What he's saying, he's covered up by illusion. So we have, he may not be able to accept now. You give him some prasada, but if he don't accept, you cannot accept. You read the book and you tell me what you think. Give him a book. You don't know about these things, so that's why you don't believe. You read this and tell me what you think. Give him one of the books. If he reads it, then he'll get a clear idea. You can't blame them, they don't accept us. God. They never heard about him. They never cultivated him. 